look at the God of Abraham, and of course, we looked at the God of Isaac. Tonight, we want to look at the God of Jacob. I want to begin with, uh, there were three men in a waiting room for, and they were expectant fathers waiting for word for the arrival of their infants. And uh, sometime later, a nurse comes in and announces to one of the men that his wife has just given birth to twins. And one of the men said, that's amazing. I play for the Minnesota Twins. About 20 minutes later, another nurse comes in and announces the second gentleman that his wife had given birth to triplets. He said, wow, I work for the 3M company. On hearing that news, the third man, well, he fell off his chair and fainted. After the people revived him, they inquired why he had fainted. He said, I work for 7-Up. Well, our study tonight has to do with two twins, Esau and Jacob. In particular, we want to study about Jacob. Uh, and more specifically, we're talking about the God of Jacob. And in, in comparing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of course, the scriptures present Abraham as a kind of a trailblazer, kind of a pioneer of faith. He was and had an active faith. He experienced uh, a great many triumphs of faith. Isaac was a totally different type of person. He had more of a passive faith. And although he had his weaknesses, he was a stern believer in God. And when God revealed his weaknesses to him, he became very stalwart in his faith. He was an unassuming type of man, meek and humble and submissive. Abraham was a leader. Isaac was a follower. But then we come to Jacob, and his life was one of conflict. In him, we see the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. Uh, this is a key understanding of his life. Uh, his life uh, uh, strikingly exhibits the power of the old nature, but it also exhibits the power of God's love and grace. In Jacob, we see the utter worthlessness and depravity of human nature, but we also see the deep instruction as to God's purpose and God's infinite grace. Have you ever uh, wondered why God had been so careful to tell us about the weaknesses of a man's character as well as his strength? Well, in, in the Bible, God has set forth the good and the bad things about Jacob. And he's done this to magnify the riches of divine grace and admonish us not to follow in the carnal footsteps of this patriarch. And God has not recorded Jacob's sins in order to help us remember them because he blotted out Jacob's sins forever, even as he does those of the believer today who confesses his sins. God tells us, both the good and the bad about Jacob, so we can see him as he really was. Notice, first of all, 
Jacob's name. In Genesis, we read of a man who was at least, it seems, a natural-born wrestler. In fact, he fought round one before he was even born. Uh, Genesis chapter 25 and verse 22, there was a struggle between these two boys. In chapter 25 uh, of Genesis, and uh, we'll read that verse uh, 22 there. Uh, we read there, And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire the Lord. So we have this struggle that takes place, which began before they were even born. And that kind of represents the struggle that's in, still in the world today, the struggle between light and darkness, between good and evil between the spirit and the flesh. And every child of God knows something of this struggle, which Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. But then in verse 26 of uh, chapter 25, we read, And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old, which when she uh, bare him, them. Isaac and Rebekah named the boy properly. The name Jacob means supplanter in the Hebrew. And the word supplant means to overthrow by tripping up. Uh, it's, uh, in fact, if you study the Hebrew name, Jacob literally means heel grabber, heel grabber. I'm not making this up, okay? That's what the Bible tells us. Uh, Jacob was the son of Isaac and Rebekah and the twin brother to Esau. And as his, at his birth, he held on to his brother's heel. And he was called Jacob. That's a heel grabber or heel holder. One that comes behind and catches the heel of, it is, of his adversary. He was a supplanter. Now, if you look in a Bible encyclopedia it'll tell you a little bit more about the name of Jacob um, the verb in all its usages is capable of deduction by simple association of ideas you take the word heal to heal might mean to take hold of by the heel and the history of Jacob is referred to by the prophet Hosea Hosea 12 and verse 3, where it says, He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. Or you could also say to follow with evil intent, to supplant, or to, uh, in general, to deceive. If you go to Genesis 26 or 27 and verse 36, you'll notice it says, And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob, for he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he has said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? So ja Jacob spent his whole life wrestling. He wrestled with his brother. He wrestled a man for his wife, basically. He eventually got into a wrestling match with God, and he wrestled all night. In a, in, a, in a sense, you could say Jacob is like many of us. 
He knew God had a plan for his life, so he spent most of his energies using his natural abilities, trying to make what he thought was God's plan, and he was trying to make it work. The trouble with Jacob was that the majority of the time, it wasn't God's will that was at stake. It was his own deceitful plans that caused him trouble. He knew that the older twin brother was to serve him. He knew that the blessing of Abraham was to come to him. So he spent his life trying to make it happen to what God had foretold. And so you have Jacob's name. and He was a, a name that uh, has a lot of meaning there. Secondly, we see Nate, uh, Jacob's nature. In the Bible, God reveals the true nature of Jacob. Uh, both his uh, deep-seated inner longings for God's best and his human scheming and his carnal methods of attaining it. From his father, Jacob inherited uh, an affectionate attachment to his home, which appears in his life from the beginning to the end. He inherited shrewdness and initiative and resourcefulness from Rebekah, qualities that he shared apparently with her brother Laban and all his family, and uh, the ethical faults of Abraham and Isaac alike uh, are want of courage. It's not surprising. So to find some same failings in Jacob, uh, deceit and cowardice will be visible again and again in his impartial uh, record of his life. Uh, and that uh, all comes from unbelief. So we find here in Jacob's nature, Jacob was a schemer. Jacob the schemer. He had been chosen as a man to head up a nation. Now I'm sure we probably would have looked at Jacob and said, hmm, I don't think he qualifies. Uh, he's a schemer, he's crooked. In so many ways, he sought to gain both material and spiritual blessings. Again, I'm sure that we have known people like this. Many of us have uh, perhaps uh, uh, even had some of this in our own lives. We know that God has a plan for our life. He knew that God has a plan for his life, but again, he spent his energy using his natural abilities, trying to make what he thought was God's plan work. But again, the majority of the time, it wasn't God's will that was at stake. It was his deceitful plans that caused him trouble. And so we find him scheming and trying to work out the plan he thought God had for him. We find that Jacob deceived his brother for the birthright. We won't go into all that uh, this evening, but then we find that he deceived his father for the blessing. And he deceived his uncle for the flock. And you just see his life, entire life, being that of, of trying to plan things out, what he thought was God's plan, and... Uh, working it for his benefit. 
So he was a schemer. But he, uh, Jacob, we notice also Jacob the saint. God's infinite grace re, re, is revealed to us as he, God continued to lavish on Jacob his, his uncompromising love. There's nothing in Jacob that merited this. He didn't deserve this. Even as there's nothing in us that merits God's love and grace. And although Jacob continued to abuse his life with fleshly actions, God continued to work with him in patient love. God continued to pour out his love on Jacob, while never once condoning the sins of Jacob, but for many years God allowed Jacob to pursue the path and the, the things that he had chosen uh, to do to try to work out what he thought was God's plan. Now, Jacob saw the cost of trying to live his life apart from God. He wanted the things of God, but he wanted him, him, them his own way and in his own time. Now, Jacob's selfishness manifested itself many times, and it became his rod of chastening. Again, in patient love, God always followed Jacob until finally Jacob would come to the end of himself. And God loved Jacob, but he hated the sin and the carnality of Jacob. And so the life of Jacob is not a demonstration of man's perseverance with God as much as a demonstration of God's perseverance with a man. God's principle of finishing what he begins is clearly seen in the life of Jacob. And that reminds us of this verse here in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. So we have Jacob's name, we have Jacob's nature, and then thirdly, Jacob's nurture. Back in chapter 25 and verse 28, it says, And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now we have to realize that Jacob's environment was not the best. Here we have Isaac loving Esau more and Rebekah loving Jacob more. Uh, we can know that when there's a division in the family like that, there's going to be some conflict. Rebekah helped Jacob deceive his father, and she felt, oh, well, the end justifies the means. So whatever it takes. On the other hand, Esau belittled and despised that which was spiritual. And uh, so what kind of blessing can you expect from these kinds of family conflicts? Uh, I think one of the things we notice here is that parental partiality is common. This is not something that's unusual. Many times uh, uh, people like Isaac, Jacob's father, are fascinated by more energetic temperament like Esau had. Mothers, on the other hand, are drawn toward children that are more gentle. And so here's the problem in the home. Feel that under the circumstances, they're going to have trouble and they are. When one parent is partial to one child and the other parent is partial to the other child, 
you're going to have trouble. You're going to have conflict. Now back in uh, verse 27, you see what these two boys were like. Yes, they were twins, but no two boys are even more different than these two. They not only struggle in the womb, but they're against each other from, uh, from there on out. Absolutely different viewpoints, different philosophies in life. Their thinking was different. Their attitudes were different. But the Bible tells us the boys grew. Esau was a cunning hunter, an outdoorsman, kind of athletic. He was one that we would call an all-American boy. He went out for sports. He went in everything that was physical. But he had no understanding, no capacity for the spiritual things. He was only interested in what was physical. He represents the flesh. Jacob, on the other hand, is described as a plain man. Uh, one commentator says he was a mama's boy, and he was tied to her apron strings. And you notice that he did what she told him to do. But Esau was a papa's boy. So you're going to have partiality that's common but also notice that parental partiality is caustic. Caustic. When you have this kind of parental partiality, it's going to promote sibling rivalry. And this was bad on both the part of both parents. Favoritism ought to be avoided because nothing but discontent and ill feeling will come from it. Parental partiality brings relational division. Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob, and in consequence of this, the family was divided. It was in opposition to itself. And so, we need to be careful in this area. We need to realize maybe this is the reason for some of the problems in families today. So you have Jacob's name, of Jacob's nature, Jacob's nurture, and then Jacob's namesake. In Genesis 32, verse 28, we read and says, And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. So it's in cases like Jacob that God delights to work. He starts where there's no promise of anything and produces something for his glory. And in God's sovereign will, God laid his hand upon Jacob for a special purpose. And when God undertakes something, no one can defeat him. It took 30 years for God to accomplish his purpose with Jacob. But when he was finished, he was the kind of man he desired. Now, giving a name change in the Bible meant either a change in nature or a change in relationship. He was given a new name, the name Israel. Now, again, new names are symbols of how God changes people's lives. Here we see how Jacob's character changed. Uh, he was ambitious deceiver, but now when he became Israel, the one who struggles with God and he over overcomes. Uh, he's not... Jacob anymore. He's not the usurper, the trickster, but he's a prince that had power with God and with men. 
So the new nature of Israel would be seen in the life of this man. The name change, of course, took place after the wrestling match. Uh, the angel of the Lord. The question might be asked, well, who won? God did. Who lost? Uh, Jacob? Or did he? Uh, this is one of the great paradoxes of life. When we wrestle with God, we always lose, but when we lose, we win. Reminds me what the Lord said in Mark 8.35, For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel shall save it. In Matthew 20, verse 26 and 27, it says, But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister, and whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. So in God's thinking, the values of the world are completely reversed. The way up is down. The way to save your life is to lose it. And strangely enough, when you fight with God, defeat leads on to victory, and the road to the kingdom goes by the way of the cross. So what does Israel mean? It really means has a double meaning, carries a double message. God continually is bringing us to a place where we will surrender to our will to him. But that act of surrender, um, you, with that act of surrender, we obtain a victory that really matters. So in losing, we win. Now, notice Israel the man. Israel means prince. And God transformed Jacob into a prince. Uh, this is all the more significant when you realize the Bible refers to Jacob as a worm. In Isaiah 41.14 it says, Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So, as you think about that, what is more weaker what is more worthless than a worm? To us, maybe, well, we'd say, well, a worm, that's pretty valuable to a robin. <laughs> it's pretty valuable when you're going to go fishing, but, uh, you know, a worm, it's in the ground. It's just burrowing in the worm. What's more worthless than a worm? And that's really what God thought about Jacob. God chose to transform Jacob from a worm to a prince. And that gives us a key regarding God's choice of Jacob. Now, the warped character of Jacob provided a suitable background for the display of God's grace. Now, none of us are worthy of God's grace and his mercy. But it pleases him to choose us that he might display his glory through us. That's why he chose Jacob, to make him a prince out of a worm. And that brings us to Israel, the nation. A lot we could say about this, but we're not going to spend a long time with Israel, the nation, because the entire nation bears the name of Jacob's changed name. And the Jewish state is, is named after the patriarch Jacob, whom the Bible renamed Israel. I think the similarities between the country and the namesake are, are, are very interesting, for each has traditionally been criticized were precisely the same thing. So 
God is the God of Abraham, but also notice how wonderful it is that God condescends to be called the God of Jacob. And only God could see the princely qualities in here, uh, which we would consider an unattractive man. He is a uh, he is the God of God is the God of the misfit. He's the God of a warped personality. So there's hope for all of us. He delights to begin where others give up on us. Now, perhaps there's been a time when you didn't see any value in your life. Well, God gave you a chance to make you into what he wants you to be. Perhaps there's a time when you had too high of a value on your life. You didn't realize your need for God, but then God changed your outlook. And that's what God delights to do as we yield ourselves to God that he might do his perfect work in our lives. God of Jacob. A lot to, to learn from, from Jacob, but uh, I'm giving you the, the short version tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time together in the Word of God. We pray, Lord, to bless even these reminders of Jacob. Many of us are very familiar with his story, and yet we need to be reminded sometimes how uh, you have a plan for our lives, and we dare not try to work that plan ourselves, but allow you to work that plan in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. Bless it to our lives, and bless our lives for your honor and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.